Good morning. We're so glad you guys could join us on this lovely Sunday morning, Memorial Day weekend. Would you guys stand as we begin to sing?
be seated. Good morning. It is great to be gathered with all of you here this morning as we celebrate this Memorial Day weekend, as we kind of kick off the official kind of start of, of summer for us, which is one thing for you to note is that with this start of summer, that means we do not have our regular Sunday school hour this morning, and through the summer there's no Sunday school hour, right? so we'll, after the service, I want you to come downstairs, fellowship with us, get coffee, get a treat, but there is no Sunday school hour following the service this week and throughout the summer. If you're new or you're visiting, my name's Tim, I'm the, the senior pastor here at Three Lake Evangelical Free Church, and we're, we're glad that you're here with us as we come together and celebrate that we, what we just sang, that, your, that God's grace is enough for us. Whatever we come in with, whatever struggles, whatever trials we're facing this morning, God's grace is enough. We can, we can celebrate that together. I stand here, I look out, I'm amazed by what this room looks like. Right? For those of you who are around this weekend, we had a, a huge rummage sale in here and downstairs and like all these chairs were pushed to the sides and it was all filled with stuff and it was it was great to see and so to tell us a little bit more about that I'm going to invite Bob and Melissa Warner to come up and share a little bit about that rummage sale. Hi everybody, good morning. We're still standing. <laughs> uh, it was such a wonderful sale. Thank you to everybody who contributed. I especially want to uh, give a shout out to St. Teresa's and to Faith Lutheran for donating their tables to us and being so willing to share all of their tables on a really busy week for them. And also, I wanted to give a shout out to them for taking what they could to put in their thrift shop and their man cave. So our leftovers went to their ministries, and, and we're really grateful that they could help us out with that. So I just wanted to say, if you were involved with this sale in any way, if you baked for the people in the kitchen, if you uh, took garbage out, <laughs> if you uh, shopped the sale, if you helped set up, if you helped put the sanctuary back together, if you had anything to do with this sale, could you please stand up? I know that there were are really shy people who didn't want to stand up, <laughs> but so many hands contributed to this, and we are we are forever ever grateful. Um, so we weren't exactly sure how we were going to announce this, and we just were kind of stumped. So we thought we might go with like a game show theme. Show where zillions upon millions have won. Emma Kirby.
Come on down. You're the next contestant on The Price is Right. Come on down, Emma. Welcome to The Price is Right. All right, so we, you will win valuable prizes. So the idea of this is, oh, first of all, let's get to know Emma. Emma, where are you from? I'm from a little bit of heaven on earth at the Kirby household right on Military Road in Three Lakes. Are, are you married? Very good. And, and what's your occupation? I am a fifth grade teacher at Eagle River Elementary. Awesome. So Emma, step right over here so we're not in everybody's way. You guys hold those up high. All right, so here is the object of this game, Emma. You have three tries to arrange these numbers that will equal the grand total raised and donated in the rummage sale. And should you successfully arrange those numbers, you will rent, win one of the leftover items <laughs> in the garage. So don't get too excited. Okay, so, yeah, ready, set, go. And the audience, you may help her. This is absolutely perfect because I'm positively the worst person to ever be chosen for this type of stuff. So I will definitely need some help. Timer's running, you got three tries. Yeah, um, Leona, you can stay there. Whitney, you stay right there. Okay, that is not correct. And that is not correct. <laughs> you got one more try. No, you are wrong. All right, we are going to give you the right total. Kenny, hold up the nine. Zach, move over to Ellie's spot. Becca, move over to Melanie's. Oh, 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 holy cow. Melanie, go to the end. And there you have it. <laughs> yeah. So... We, we raised through sales and donations $9,860.54. Our goal was $10,000. So if there is anybody amongst you, and I can't even do the math, so let's just say anybody that would like to write a $200 check, see my wife. So we thank, we thank you. Thank you, guys. You can, put, you can take your seat and put those down. Thank you. So can we just have a round of applause for Bob and Melissa because they 
They put in so much work. Great job. Great job. And they, one of the coolest parts about this was that they had a real heart for ministry and connecting the community to our church. And that's, that's really what happened this last week. So it was awesome. All right. Well, we have a couple of graduates here, and we're going to celebrate them today. So if you are a graduate of high school, I know there's at least two of you here. Could you guys come on up? All right, so our two graduates are, we have Eli Napsiger and Gus Fink. And there are also a number of other graduates that are involved in our church that didn't make it today, and that's okay. But um, we want to celebrate these guys. So, Eli, I ask you a question this week. What was your favorite memory from youth group? And now that I've told him that, start thinking, okay? Um, there was one youth event, Winterfest one year where it was me and one other friend. We were the only boys, and it was just us and Ian for a whole weekend. Yeah, it was, it was a super fun weekend, and uh, yeah, what, we played board games till what, 3 a.m.? 3 a.m., it was pretty fun. It was, pretty, it was good, it was a good one. All right, Gus. Probably when we were playing archery tag here at the parking lot, and I was absolutely killing it, and then Ian took the hat off my head with an arrow. <laughs> I'll take that one. I don't remember that, but I, I should remember that. So, Well, you guys are awesome, and we're excited that you are here, and we have some guys that are going to come and pray over you as you go. So uh, Dave Kirby and Bob Warner, if you guys want to come up. So if you guys want to pray over these guys, and then I'll close, all right? <laughs> I feel like even on the ground, that won't help you that much. I know. All right. So you start, and then we'll give it to Bob, and I'll close. Okay. All right. Well, Gus, it's been a pleasure to watch you grow up, um, literally. But even as a young man, you know, we're very proud of you. Proud of you. You know, I see you at school. I see you at the fire department. Um, and the things you strive for and, the, and your excellence, um, we're really excited to see what the future is going to have for you. So let's pray. Father, as uh, Gus goes off to school and he leaves us, but he joins a community where he's going to be close to his grandmother and grandfather, and um, we just pray that he would seek you, that he would seek friends that would help him turn to you and stay to you, and when those times come and he gets tried, he, he, he stands on you and he comes to that rock. And Father, I would just pray that you would uh, encourage him to choose things that he does in college that he can, uh, again, have, have a good group of friends there. Father, bless his time, bless his, uh, as he travels, and um, just, just let him... Just, just again, to, to keep you in, 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 in his sights um, as he strives for excellence. Father, we thank you for him. Thank you for his family. And we pray this in your son's name.
country and track. And so I have also, like Dave said, gotten to see you grow up and into this fine young man. And so I always look for a scripture to start a prayer off with. So I found this in 2 Kings. This was like as King David was getting ready to die and he was giving Solomon a charge. So I hope I'm not dying, but you, ne you never know. You never know. But here, here's, here's my, I'm going to start off a prayer and then with, with this to you. King David started off by saying, I go the way of all the earth. But he said to Solomon, be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, his testimonies, as is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for Eli. We thank you for the whole Nafziger family, Lord, what they have meant to Three Lakes and to this church. We thank you for all of them. And um, as Eli goes off into the next stage of life after high school graduation, Lord, we pray that you will claim his claim him as your own and that will he will claim you as his God and that he will walk with you all the days of his life and prosper. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear Father God, we pray for all those who couldn't be here, Lord. We pray for Carly Weavers, who just graduated. We pray for Isabel Wiley, who graduated back in December. We pray for Gabe West and Jacob Vold, all those guys who have have been involved here, Lord. We pray that you would just keep your, their, well, that they would keep their eyes focused on you, Lord, that you would draw them closer to you, Lord, always. Help them as they go on to the next thing in life, whether it's work or uh, college, that you would be a central part of everything that they're doing, Lord. We thank you so much for them and for the fact that they um, were, were here and were part of this church family, Lord. I ask that you um, watch over them, bless them, and help us to not forget them, but that we would also continue to minister to them even if they are not necessarily here, Lord. We thank you for all the graduates and the things that they achieved, Lord, and uh, yeah, we just thank you for this day and the fact that we get to celebrate them. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. stand with us as we continue in worship. Jesus Christ. 
Father, you are the king of all things. You are worthy of all our, our adoration, all our praise. You are worthy of all glory and honor. So that be our heart's desire this morning, to bring you honor, to bring you glory, and to bring you praise. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This is, in many ways, a, a kind of very transition, transition-y time of year. We just sent off, printed off the, our seniors, and now we also have another family who is about to, to be leaving us. So we're going to invite the Rodriguez family up to share a little bit about what they're heading off to. So we have Lucia and Cesar and Matias and Aurelia, and they've been with us for two years. Um, at, at Honey Rock, as Cesar has worked on a degree out there, um, and they've been with us. And so it's been great to have them with us, but they are now transitioning. transitioning so I'm going to invite them just to share a little bit about where they're headed, with, what's next for them. Thank you. Well, may, may God bless you. Um, yeah, we came here. Um, before coming here, we was doing a mission sport ministry in Panama um, with an uh, organization called Sport Quest. The main thing that we are doing is using the vehicle of sport and now adventure to reaching out people and making disciples. Um, so we came here with the opportunity to study this grad program in Honey Rock. Um, we just done. It's part of the process and we, are, we as a family we know that we came here uh, temporary for these two years and also, our prayer all the time before coming here is that we can find out a church that take care of my family because as a missionaries, we're always looking for that. And we are so grateful for this church because they played this role very well. And my kids, they enjoy coming here for kids' ministry, youth meeting. Just I can tell you when they come back home, we're just asking a lot of questions what they learn. And they learn a lot. So... Um, <laughs> So as a, as a family, we are so grateful for that. Um, so we want to come back to Panama um, with a new role in the organization. So now um, I was playing the role uh, overseas, the, the missionaries in Latin America, uh, speaking in Spanish, that is easy for me. But now uh, my organization is giving me the challenge to oversee uh, now all the missionaries uh, globally. So now we want to add in some people from that they're working in Egypt, Ukraine, Haiti, um, Belgium, here U.S., and all over Latin America. We have Chile, Venezuela, Panama, Costa Rica, Guatemala. So it's around 25 missionaries that they are doing sport ministry, adventure ministry, making disciples. So now we as a family, we want to take care of them, see what they are doing, serving with them, offering like trainings and helping them to continue spread the good news, but also how they can be more effective in making disciples in their own context. Uh, so this, if you can pray for us, the disciple framework that we are doing as a ministry is uh, we challenge, equip, and multiply. 
So in challenge is we offer the people to come to activities as sport activities or adventure activities. We grow in relationship and in equip, we start a disciple then. But then we plug them to local churches because we know that we are not a church. We're just helping them to know Jesus and they can continue in their journey, but we need the local church. We are also looking for partnering with local churches in each context that we are doing ministry. And the multiply uh, part is if somebody God leading them to do the same thing that we are doing, so we equipping them, we training them that they can doing the same thing in their own context or if, they, if God is leading them to go overseas as a, as a missionaries, so we helping them to in this uh, process. So, yeah, we are, you are welcome to come visit us in Panama uh, when you feel that you want to feel like 95 uh, Fahrenheit uh, uh, degrees. Uh, so this is going to be the average weather for us coming back. Uh, and, but yeah, thank you very much for uh, this opportunity. Ian and I want to pray for you guys. It's going to send you off. and Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we, we thank you for this family and the way they've blessed this church and other families in this church and in this community during their time here. We, we pray for just the fruitful work you're doing through their ministry and you will continue to do through their ministry as they go back to Panama and as they... They work to see your kingdom advance and to see the disciples being made and uh, ministries multiplying. To pray you would be with them and all the details that come with a transition like this. Pray that you would help that to go smoothly. Help them to yeah, transition well back to Panama and help all those details fall into place. Pray that you would give them energy and endurance for this time and that they settle back in to life in Panama, that you would you would be with them, that you would give them fruitful ministry and joyful family life and the good transition there. Father, we, we thank you for the work you're doing through this family um, to see your kingdom advance, to see disciples being made. Pray that you would be honored and glorified through their work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Father God, we thank you for Lucia and Matthias, we thank you for the time that they've been here with us, and uh, we also thank you that you are sending them somewhere else, Lord. We ask that you would protect them as they go, help them to continue to develop and learn about you and get closer to you, Lord. We thank you for both of their hearts for you, and I ask that you would nurture them and protect them in that place. We pray that you would help them to make many friends in Panama and um, help us here to, to pray for them and support them as they're going. We thank you that they got to be a part of our youth group and fun club and Sunday school. And we will miss them and we will miss the, the we will notice the hole that they are leaving here, Lord. But I ask that you would just smooth the path as they go and just give them a great new home in Panama. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
So back in the late, late 1990s, maybe early 2000s, when I was in middle school, there was, there was a trend of, of t-shirts and other merchandise that can all contain the phrase, blank is life. The rest is just details. Right? So I think it started with like sport-themed t-shirts. So you had shirts like this and this and these. Right? They have them for like every sport imaginable, right? Like just whatever, like baseball is life, the rest is just details. Soccer is life, like whatever sport you want. Right? Blank is life, the rest is just details. And as time went on and it became popular, it kind of, you saw it seep into other segments of, of the culture. Right? So you'd start to see things like this. Right? Harley Davidson is life, the rest is just details. Right? Or this. <clears throat> right? they, were, they, were, they were everywhere. <clears throat> and then of course, like, Someone had to try to be like funny and ironically literal, so they made this shirt. <laughs> right. And so, like, and this trend, like it was, like I said, predominantly in the late '90s, early 2000s. But apparently, it hasn't totally died out yet. Because as I was like searching for all these shirts, I came across this one. Right. <laughs> and like. No one knew what pickleball was in the late 90s, so this must be a newer shirt, right? So still, this thing is still going on. Right? Anyway, right? I, had the, I had the baseball version of, of that shirt when I was growing up, and the reason I know this is like from my kind of middle school years is that I remember, I had the vivid memory of, of going on a mission trip with my church at the time down to, to Camp Barnabas in Purdy, Missouri. So Camp Barnabas is the camp for people with a variety of disabilities, and we were there. We were kind of working to be as assistants for the, the full-time summer staff. And so one day I'm at, I'm at the camp, and I'm wearing my Baseball is Life shirt. And the full-time counselor in the cabin that I was in, he, I'm sure, was being very well-intentioned when he said something like, like, you know baseball isn't really life, Right? Like, yeah, like, and the point being, of course, like, like baseball is not the most important thing in life. Like Jesus is, right? He was trying to use that as a transition. And then the great, the great tradition of, of Christian companies kind of co-opting popular culture, he wished I was wearing this shirt instead. Right? Life is Christ, the rest, it's just details. Now the truth of the matter is, like, I, as a middle school boy at the time, had not put a lot of thought into the significance of the shirt I was wearing. Like, like I'm pretty sure the extent of my thought process was, eh, I like baseball. This shirt has a baseball on it. This shirt is relatively clean. So I'm going to just wear this shirt. Right? Like, that was it. And so I'm pretty sure my, my reaction when he said that to me was, whatever. Right? Which is pretty much the reaction to everything for a middle schooler. Right? Like, whatever. But of course, like the counselor was right. For the Christian, for the person who has received the good news that, that though they have sinned against God, Jesus came and he died to forgive their sins. Right? Then life should be Christ. There should be nothing more important to us than, than Christ and his glory. It reminds me of the quote from, from C.S. Lewis. He says this, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be 
if moderately important. So we're here in our third week of our study through the book of Philippians. And already in these three weeks, we've seen over and over again in the life of Paul like, that this is true for him. Right? There's nothing more important to Paul than Christ and him being exalted. Right? Starting with the very first verse. When Paul says he chooses to identify himself as a servant of Christ. Right? He had a thousand credentials. But the way he identified himself was as a servant of Christ. And in last week's sermon, we saw how, despite the fact that Paul was facing difficult personal circumstances, he was in prison, he's being unjustly maligned by rivals, despite all that, he was able to say, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. For Paul, he writes this letter. The most important thing in his life is that Jesus is exalted, that the gospel is preached. For Paul, Jesus is the most important thing. And now as we pick up our series this morning, we're going to be looking at Philippians 1, starting in verse 18, reading through 26. So we pick up this passage. Paul makes probably the clearest statement in all the Bible on the, the central importance of Christ to all things. Right? It's one of the more well-known statements in the Bible. And in fact, it's, it's what makes up the title of our sermon series. Right? In verse 21, Paul says, To live is Christ. Or in other words, right, Christ is life. The rest is just details. To understand what brings Paul to that conclusion, let's read this whole passage together, starting in verse 18. Before we read it, let me just remind you of kind of the circumstances that Paul finds himself in. He's in jail, he's awaiting trial, and at least from an outside perspective, it's very uncertain whether he's going to live or die, whether he'll be executed after his trial or he'll be released. His, his future, his, his fate is in the balance. And so from jail, knowing that, he writes this. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I in no way will be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. It's interesting to me how over time, right? 
different generation come up with different ways to kind of emphasize when they're really being serious. Like our language is so laced with metaphor and exaggeration and hyperbole that sometimes we need to emphasize that we're being totally serious. So when I was growing up and I wanted to really drive home that I was telling the truth, that I was being serious, I might say something like, no joke, or for real. Like, like Mom, I did my homework. Like, for real. Like, no joke. And I'm told that, like, for kids these days, the expression they use for this is no cap, which I feel deeply, deeply uncool even saying. (laughs) But that's what I've been told. And apparently the expression comes from the fact that that people who want to get gold teeth can either get permanent gold teeth or gold caps that can be removed. And having permanent gold teeth is seen as a more genuine and more committed to the gold tooth lifestyle, whatever that may mean. Right, so no cap, right? these aren't gold caps, they're real teeth. So no cap is a, a declaration of authenticity. Right? So that's where that phrase comes from, right? no cap. Anyway, so Paul makes a lot of statements in, in this book where in my own heart, in my own mind, I think, like, surely, Paul, you're exaggerating. Like, surely you're being hyperbolic. Or like, like, do everything without arguing and grumbling, like, everything, Paul. Like, like, but what about the stuff that's really annoying? Like, I can, I can complain about that, right? Like, like, do not be anxious about anything. Like, but like the serious stuff, though, I can be anxious about. Right? Like, you're, you're exaggerating. Like, Paul says, I've learned to be content in all circumstances. Like, all circumstances, Paul, really. Like, like what about the really bad ones? Like, surely you're not serious. You must be exaggerating. And Paul doesn't feel the need to, to do it because he expects to be taken at face value. But, but sometimes I, I mentally wish he had like inserted a, a statement like, for real, or I'm serious, or no cap after some of these statements. Because right? it's hard to take them at face value. Like I wish Paul had said, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Like, no really, everything. Like, no joke. Do not be anxious about anything. Like, seriously, anything. Or I've learned to be content in all circumstances. All of them, no joke. But perhaps the hardest statement to take at face value is found in this passage. When Paul says, For me to live is Christ and to, to die is gain. To die is gain, Paul? Surely that's an exaggeration. But Paul means it. To live is Christ and to die is gain. No cap. But Paul says his eager expectation, his eager hope is that no matter what, in life or death, no matter what, Christ is exalted in his body. Because for him to live is Christ and to die is gain. Christ being exalted, Christ being glorified was Paul's supreme goal. As long as that happened, Paul would rejoice whether it means he lives or he dies. 
Now, you may read that, and you may think, like, well, that's good for Paul. Like, he's super spiritual. Like, there's a reason that there's lots of churches and a, a big city named after him. Right? Like, he's, he's like on the spiritual all-star team. Right? But I could never be that committed. Like, I'm like spiritual JV over here. Like, like I could never be so committed to say, like, to die is gain. Right? But Paul doesn't just write this for us to marvel at his own spirituality. Right? He writes this. He tells us that to invite us and encourage us to make the exaltation of Christ, whether by life or death, our supreme goal as well. The pastor and professor Dennis Johnson says it this way. Paul expressed his supreme goal to promote Jesus' glory, whatever the cost or benefit to Paul himself, in order to whet the Philippians and our appetite for the same heart-satisfying aim. He was not setting himself apart for the rest of us as an otherworldly ascetic, to be admired from a distance by people whose devotion could not match his. Rather, he wanted to make us all feel his thrill at the privilege of magnifying Christ. This privilege and nothing less is what you and I were made for. And going back to the C.S. Lewis quote, Christianity, if false, is of, of no importance, and if true, is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. And yet it's so easy to, to fall into a place where Christianity feels moderately important. Like, my family taken care of, and I'm all caught up on work, and, and I'm well rested, and then I can probably fit in a little time for God. But that isn't how Paul lived. And I would suggest that it's not how anyone who has begun to grasp and marvel at the gloriousness of Christ ought to live. When we truly begin to understand who Jesus is, when we truly grasp what Christ has done for us on the cross, we can't help but agree with Paul that to live is Christ. And my hope for the rest of our time this morning, really for each of us every day as we go out from here, is to encourage us all to be people who as long as we have breath, we are people who live lives dedicated to the exaltation of Christ. That above all else, that's our chief concern. I would that each of us to be able to say with Paul, no matter what, whether by life or death, I want Christ to be exalted through my life. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me, Christ is life and the rest is just details. Right? Not my family is life, not money is life, not material possessions are life, not my reputation is life, not my work is my life, not my health and security are my life, right? But Christ is life. To live in Christ. Would we live lives that are dedicated to exalting and glorifying Christ above all else? No matter what it costs. Now those are 
the big statement. You may hear those, and you might think, like, I can't do that. My heart isn't there. I don't even know how to get there. My hope is that for each of us this morning, we just move in that direction. We get a little closer to Paul and his ability to say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That we get a little bit closer to being able to say with Paul, no matter what, my eager expectation and hope is that Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Help us get there this morning. I want to think through three questions with you. The first question is, how? Like, how do I exalt Christ in my body? What does that even mean? What does it look like day to day? How do I exalt Christ in my body? And then second, how can my heart be changed so that Christ is my great desire? If you're like me, then you know that there are times when, when Christ is not always your greatest desire, that you value other things more than Christ sometimes. And I, I know I can't just like force myself, will myself to love Christ more. So how can my heart be changed to let Christ become my great desire? And then finally, is it worth it? Is it worth it to live this committed to Jesus? Like, this sounds hard and unpleasant. Like, look at Paul. Right? He's in prison. He's being maligned by rivals. Do I have to live that hardcore? Like, can I have my cake and eat it too? Can't I live just like a happy, kind of easy life, dedicated to my own desires, and then sprinkle in just enough Jesus to get to heaven? Is it really worth it to live this kind of dedicated life like Paul? So those are the three questions I want to walk through this morning. The first question is, how? Right? Paul says he wants to exalt Christ in his body, but how do we do that on a day-to-day basis? And we see Paul's answer in verse 22. He writes, If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. So Paul writes this letter sitting in prison with his life hanging in the balance. But the one thing that Paul knows is that if he does live, Christ will be exalted in his body because it will mean fruitful labor for him. The way we live lives dedicated to exalting Christ is through fruitful labor. And for Paul, fruitful labor meant doing what Jesus called all of his followers to do with some of his very last word on this earth. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. For Paul, fruitful labor meant going and making disciples. We see it over and over again in Paul's life and in this letter. He's all about making disciples. And there are two, two kind of pieces of that. Two aspects that kind of work together to make disciples. That is, the sharing of the gospel and inviting people who don't follow Jesus to become his disciples. Often in the church we call that evangelism. 
And then there's the act of, of teaching people to obey everything that Jesus had commanded them. The act of helping other people grow more and more like Christ, grow in their faith. Often in the church we call that discipleship. And we tend to think of them as two kind of distinct activities. But really they both fall under this umbrella of going and making disciples. Here at this church, our mission statement, our hope, our desire is that we are a community that reaches people with the gospel and helps them to grow to be like Christ and that we serve others. But all of that falls under the umbrella of making disciples. And everything we do, we want to be a church that helps people follow Jesus more closely. Whether that means inviting them to follow Jesus for the very first time, or it means helping them grow to become more and more like Jesus. That's everything we do here, that's what it's all about. Whether it's the rummage sale, which connected people, invited people into this church, helped to reach people, along with raising money for the church. Whether it's sending off seniors, whether it's sending off the Rodriguez family and missionaries. Like we want all that we do here to be about making disciples. Inviting people to follow Jesus and then helping them grow in their faith. My deepest desire for us as a church that we're a church made up of people who are committed to making disciples through fruitful labor. That we're a church made up by people who proclaim the gospel without fear and who help others progress and find joy in their faith. Last week, we looked at how Paul rejoiced because of his imprisonment and how his imprisonment had encouraged fellow Christians to, to go and share the gospel without fear. In verse 14, he said, And because of my chains... Most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul's great concern was that the gospel would be proclaimed. Even if the people proclaiming it were doing it out of selfish ambition or to cause Paul trouble, Paul says the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I... Rejoice. Paul is dedicated to making disciples by seeing the gospel preached. But he's also dedicated to, to helping make disciples by helping his fellow believers grow to be more like Jesus. In verse 25, what we read today, he says, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Like Paul knows that if he is relieved from prison, he'll, it will mean fruitful labor for him because he'll be able to help his fellow believer progress and find joy in the faith. And that's what Paul's life is all about. Sharing the gospel and helping believer progress. And for us, this means like living lives that are dedicated to the exaltation of Christ through proclaiming the gospel and helping fellow believers progress in their faith. And that's a responsibility, a call, a challenge for each one of us individually. It's not just church services and church programs and church activities that make these things happen. 
Yes, I will stand up here and I will proclaim the gospel from this pulpit each week. But the vast majority of people who have never trusted Jesus aren't walking through those doors. If they're going to hear the gospel, they're going to trust Jesus, it involves someone going to them and sharing the gospel with them. It's like Jesus' words are, therefore, go and make disciples. Not, therefore, make disciples when they come to you. To live lives dedicated to the exaltation of Christ is to live in a way that we take seriously the command to share the gospel with others. And likewise, at the church, we will, we will offer groups and studies like practicing the way and others to help you and help believers progress in their faith. We want to equip you to grow in your knowledge and love of Christ. And I hope my preaching helps you grow in your knowledge and love of Christ. But it's not just through church activities that discipleship should be taking place. Helping others to love Christ more, helping others to grow to be more like Jesus should take place in a variety of ways that Christians get together. Whether it's one-on-one over coffee, whether it's sitting around a dinner table with friends or with your kids, we should be intentionally seeking out ways to help others grow in their faith, not just through church activities, but in our own lives. Those who are able to say with Paul to live as Christ will actively look for ways to help others become more like Jesus. It's what living a life dedicated to Christ looks like. The second question then is, like, how? Like, how do I get my heart into a place where I desire Christ above all else? Like, I don't feel like I'm there. Like, I can't honestly say that I'm with Paul when I say to live as Christ and to die as Christ. So how does my heart get there? Right. And Paul's answer to this is that it is through the Spirit of Christ and prayers for one another. In verse 19, Paul says, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Paul was able to say, For me to live as Christ and to die is gain because he had been empowered by the Holy Spirit who strengthened him in response to the prayers of Paul's fellow believers. The commentator Moises Silva writes this. He said, The point of to note here, however, is that not even Paul's personal growth, his sanctification, does not take place in isolation from the support of the church. It is indeed a sobering thought that our spiritual relationship with God is not a purely individualistic concern. We are dependent on the Spirit's power and answer to the intercessory prayers of God's people. We are dependent on the Spirit's power and answer to the intercessory prayers of God's people. Even Paul was dependent on the prayers of others. And if that's true, 
And I just ask, like, each of you, how often are you praying for your fellow Christian? Not just when they have a medical emergency or financial troubles or other pressing concerns. We should definitely pray for those. But not just then. How often are you praying? Like, God, I wish you would give so-and-so boldness to share the gospel. God, would you help so-and-so grow to be more like Jesus? God, would you, would you help so-and-so's life be dedicated to the exaltation of Christ? Would you pour out your Spirit on them that they would live lives so they can say that to live is Christ and to die is gain? God, would you work in this brother or sister's life? Are we praying prayers like that for one another? Paul said he was dependent on those prayers to do what he was doing. Would we be a church that prays that kind of prayer for one another? As we pray, would we see the Spirit of Christ empower our fellow Christians to, to proclaim the gospel boldly, to help others grow in Christ? Would we, would we see hearts be changed? That we're seeing Christ as supremely valuable, as supremely worth living for? Would we be a church that pray for one another? And as we pray, would we see hearts changed where we see Christ as supremely valuable, as worthy of all exaltation, of worthy of, of being able to say to live in Christ and to die is gain. Would we pray that for one another? Would God work by the power of His Spirit to make those prayers effective and true? Which leads us to the last question. Is it worth it? Is it worth living a life this committed to Jesus? A life that involves imprisonment and ridicule and all kinds of other challenges for Paul. Is it worth it? Paul's answer is an emphatic yes. He says in verse 23, I am torn between the two, meaning life and death. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. For Paul, the the fuel that enables him to live a life dedicated to Christ, it's his confidence that when he dies, there awaits him a future glory that is far better than any comfort or joy that this world has to offer. Paul has encountered Christ. He has met Christ. He knows Christ deeply and personally. He has seen the beauty and the splendor and the gloriousness of Christ, and therefore he knows that Christ is worthy of exaltation no matter the cost. If we want to live like Paul, if we want to live so that our deepest desire is the exaltation of Christ and the advancement of the gospel, then if we want to be able to say to live in Christ like Paul, then we also, like Paul, need to see Christ as worthy of exaltation. We need to see and behold the beauty of the gospel. We need to know Jesus deeply and personally. 
We need to be in His Word, reading as He reveals Himself to us. We need to take time to marvel and wonder at the fact that that Jesus, the Son of God, fully God, left the glories of heaven, came and He lived among us sinful people that we are. He entered this broken, hurting, fallen world. Not because we were worth it, not because we deserved it, but because He loved us. When we were His enemies, Christ came and He died for us. He lived among us like us in every way, yet without sin, and then went to the cross and died on the cross on our behalf so that the punishment that our sins deserved would be paid for by Him if we trust in Him. That should cause us to marvel and wonder and be amazed. And if there's a man like it, that that is true, that he really did all that, then that kind of man is fully worthy of whatever we can offer. He's fully worthy of our full exaltation, no matter the cost, whether by life or by death. But the only way we get there is by seeing Jesus as He really is, of believing that He really is the man the Bible says that He is, that He really did the things the Bible claims that He did. And if those claims are true, then Lewis is right, and Christianity is the most important thing. If those claims are false, then it's not important at all. But there's no place for moderate importance. If you're here this morning, wherever you're at with your relationship with God, I invite you, I encourage you to think about ways to to move yourself towards Paul saying to live in Christ. If you're here and you've never trusted Jesus, you've never seen Jesus as worthy of exaltation, then I would urge you to do that. Paul made clear, the Bible made clear that we are sinners who deserve death apart from Christ. The only hope we have is by believing and trusting that Jesus died for us you never trusted that, then I'd urge you to trust Jesus first and commit yourself to following Him. If you have more questions about what that means, then I would invite you to come talk to me. I'd love to talk to you more about that. And for the rest of us who are here who, who have trusted Jesus, we continue to look at Jesus. We continue to pray and to have Jesus revealed to us. We continue to read His Word. We continue to see Jesus as more and more glorious and beautiful. We continue to marvel at the great thing Christ has done for us. And as we marvel, let our hearts be slowly transformed we can with Paul begin to say in all seriousness and all honesty that to live is Christ and to die is gain.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We marvel at your great love for us that even when we went our own way, when we rebelled against you, when we wanted nothing to do with you, you still came to us. You still sent your son to die for us. You did not leave us. You did not let us reap the consequences of our sin and rebellion, but you came for us. Father, would we continually with more and more clarity and more and more depth behold Jesus and see him as worthy of all honor and glory and exaltation. And as we behold Jesus, would it to motivate us, would it transform us so that our desire is to glorify Him and make much of Him and advance His gospel no matter the cost to us. Father, we thank You for the people You've gathered here this morning. Pray that you would work in each one of our lives to conform us more and more into the image of Jesus and to urge us on to go out and make disciples. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple quick notes. If you leave this morning, we want you to come downstairs. Enjoy coffee and treats and fellowship down there. Also, outside the main door downstairs, Bob Coach will be taking pictures. We seek to update our directory. So if you would like to be in our directory, if you're a attender here, we'd love to have you be a part of that. And so there will be, Bob will be taking pictures down there for pictures for our directory, and there will be a copy of our directory down there where you can update information. We're glad that you're all here with us this morning. I pray that as you go from here, your life would be a life that's dedicated to the exaltation of Christ. You are dismissed.